topic is life in the body, and we're speaking about the body of Christ and our relationship to Christ, but also to one another within the body of Christ. And so last week was part one, and I said that there was a little bit too much material to cover it all in one part, and then I prepared part two, and I realized there's a little bit too much material to do it in two parts. So I finally arrived on a three-part series on Ephesians chapter number four, and I'm pretty confident that that's all that it will be. But this is really, in our series, Christian, you know, uncovering and discovering the meaning of a truly Christian life, Ephesians 4 is a key passage. It's a, it's a key portion of Scripture that explains so much. And so I'd like, I'd, I think it's appropriate for us to take a little bit of time with it. So let's start with verse 12 and verse 13 to really set the tone for the message this morning. So... Verse number 12 and verse number 13. I'd ask if you would read these out loud with me. Let's begin. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is what discipleship is all about. Discipleship through the body of Christ, through the local church, is all about what we just read in verse 13. Coming in unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love that, that the measure of a church, the success of a church, is not in the size of the church, It's not in the financial resources of the church. It's in how well that church measures up to the person of Jesus Christ. So let's look at life in the body this morning, part number two. Let's pray. Lord, help us today, we ask. We've we've come to you many times this morning. We thank you that you like and you love to hear our prayers. And this prayer now, Lord, we ask that you would be moving through this time of the sermon, that you would speak through your word. I need your help to preach it, and we as a church, we need your help to receive. So we pray that you'd be, uh, your presence would be experienced by us this morning. In Jesus' name again, amen. So we looked last week, and I, I don't want to re-preach the message, but I do want to kind of just remind us of where we came from, set the context again as we dive back into this passage. So if you remember, we began by defining what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ means that there's a new covenant reality. So in other words, if you remember, we looked last week at in this church in Ephesus, there would have been two groups. On the one hand, people that had a Jewish identity coming into the church. Do you remember we talked about that? If you nod, it just makes me feel better. Whether you do or not, you can just go like that. All right, so we talked about people with a Jewish identity coming into the church. And then on this side, we talked about people that had a Gentile identity in the church. And the whole theme about unity was this. It was that when Jesus came, he didn't come for Jews and Gentiles and to establish two bodies. He came to establish one body, the body of Christ, that our old identity, who we were before Christ, is gone. 
I'm not defined by those terms anymore. I'm not defined by religion or ethnicity. I'm not defined by national origin. None of those things identify me. It's Christ in my belonging to Him. That's who I am. That's who all believers are. And that was really the theme here as we, we looked at several passages. And if you missed it, there's all of the references are there that we looked at. So if the body of Christ... If the body of Christ is made up of all believers, how do we see the body of Christ? What is the visible display of Christ's body? Well, it's this right here. It's the local church. It's the gathered church. The word that we looked at was that Greek word ekklesia. We are a, an, a called out assembly from the world. You and I, both as we gather in this building and as we go out, we don't lose that sense of belonging, that we belong not just to Christ, but part of our Christian identity is belonging to each other and belonging to the local church. When he writes to the churches, and you see this in Ephesians, and he writes this to the church in Corinth, he is speaking to a local gathered church when he tells them, church, you are the body of Christ. By the way, that's why it's so important that Every Christian be a member of a local New Testament church. And that's why we practice membership here. That's why we have a, a starting point class that's taking place today. And that's why we encourage people to be a part of the visible body of Christ. And that's another discussion, but it's so important. You'll never find in the New Testament isolated believers. You always find them assembled in a church with other believers. So that's the idea of what, it, what the body of Christ is. We belong to it by salvation. We are, we are born again into the family, into the body of Christ. But then last week we looked at 13 verses, verses 1 through 13, that really spoke about the importance of unity within the body. How the body of Christ must be unified. That was the topic. And so in verse 1 through 13 you see that. A key verse was verse number 4. There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called into in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But now, we want to talk today about a strengthened body. Because it's one thing to be part of the body, and then the next step is to be unified together, but there's a purpose for that unity. There's a purpose for the unity. In fact, uh, look with me here at verse number 8. Actually, you'd have to back up to verse 7. In verse 7 it says, but unto who? In verse number 7 it says, but to who? Everyone. To everyone is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave what? gave gifts unto men. Now put these together, back in verse number 7, unto who? Unto how many? Everyone is given grace. And then in, in verse number 8, it says that Jesus gave gifts unto men. And I'll show you another scripture a little bit later that again shows that the, the gifts of Christ, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are not to some Christians but the gifts are to how many? All, to everyone. We see it here, and I'm going to show you another passage in a minute that also says that. But why is that? Why has God gifted the members of the body? 
Is it for us to proclaim our own giftedness? No. Is, is, it, say, is it for people to say, well, even you say that some people are gifted? Well, let me tell you about giftedness. I've got some gifts. Let me share them with you. Now, could that ever be the attitude in a church? It happens. In fact, the whole book of 1 Corinthians deals very much with believers who are so impressed with their own giftedness that they forget the purpose of the gifts. Well, there's a purpose, and the purpose is for there to be a strengthened body. A strengthened body. You notice in verse 11, and he gave. So if we, it says that he gave gifts and he gave some. Now he talks about different kinds of gifts that he gave to the church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Well, why did he give the gifts? Verse 12 gives us the reason. Verse 12 tells us why. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and now this last statement, for the, what's the word? For the edifying of the body of Christ. All of the gifts of the Spirit to His church are for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ. Now, what does it mean to edify? I'm glad you asked. I put it on the handout here. There's a, the Greek word behind edify, and I mentioned this at the end. We're kind of picking up the end of last week for the beginning of this week. The Greek word for edify is the word oikodomeo. Some of you may have known that. The point is this. It's a combination of two words put in one. The word house and the word to build. You put those words together and you get this Greek compound pound word which means, edify means to build the house. To build the house. Or to put up, well, we have another word in English that's related, to construct an edifice, to edify, to put up a building. This is a construction term. The point of your giftedness, the point of my giftedness, it's not for me, it's to build up we. It's to build up the body of Christ for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So I'd like to ask you this morning, and you can ask me, what are you working on? How are you building the body of Christ? There's a few passages we'll look at, but let's see here. What does it take? What does it take to build the body? To build up the body of Christ? Now, remember, I guess we should say, what is the goal of the building? What is the goal of the building? Is it to construct the biggest building the world has ever seen? Is it to construct the most magnificent? Well, yes and no. The truth is, the goal of the building is what we saw in verse number 13. The goal of building is to achieve, at the end of verse 13, to achieve unto the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. How do you know when you have effectively built the body of Christ? When the body of Christ looks like the body of Christ. When the body of Christ behaves as Christ would behave. When it thinks 
as Christ would think. The point of our building, the point of our working, the point of our edifying through the power of the Holy Spirit is so that the church will resemble the body of Christ because we are the body. Isn't it a bit of a play on words there? That when you think of the body of Christ, you should think of it literally as Christ came and he gave his physical body. He has a physical body even in heaven today. And we are to endeavor to look like Christ. That is how we build this body of Christ here. So what does it take? What is required? Well, let's notice these uh, these three things pretty simply here this morning. First of all, to build the body of Christ, we need gifted leaders. We need gifted leaders. Look at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. These are leadership gifts given to the church. Now, a couple of things that I'd have you mark about this. The gift of the apostle and the prophet, and I know that I shared this last week, but it bears repeating. The gift of the apostle and prophet are what we're going to call foundational gifts. Did you catch that? We're referring to those as foundational gifts. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about the church, that we are built up on the foundation. The foundation is the foundation is the apostles and prophets. The chief cornerstone is who? Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Then there is the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And then on top of that, we build the church of God. Now that's important to view them as foundationally because in what way did the apostles and prophets laid the foundation for the church. I thought, why would you need more than Jesus? Why would you need apostles and prophets if you had Jesus? Well, because Jesus commissioned his apostles to establish the church. And Jesus gave the New Testament. The writing of the New Testament was was through the gift of the apostles. So the apostles and the prophets are the ones who were specifically called to take the Word of God, to author the books of the New Testament, and give us the scriptures that we hold in our hands. So when you see the apostles and prophets, what you're looking at is we have their testimony today. We have the testimony of the apostles and prophets right here in our New Testament. Now that's important. Because some people think that's, some people uh, don't believe that and they get off into false doctrines and false teachings, try to reestablish themselves as new apostles or new prophets. We don't need new apostles and prophets. We have the foundation they gave us in the Word of God. But on top of that, there are other gifted leaders given to the church. And these offices are explained in other places in the Bible as well. And so I view those two as evangelists. And then secondly, pastor, the pastor-teacher. The evangelist and pastor-teacher. Now, you'll see the, the grammatic structure of the passage. Verse 11, some apostles some prophets, some evangelists. Now, in the Greek structure here, there's an article with each one of them, with apostles, with prophets, with evangelists. And then pastors and teachers do not appear separately, but they share the same article. And so many people, as do I, and, and you could, we could debate this maybe a little bit, but I see the role of the pastor and teacher as the same role, much like where Paul said that uh, that if a man desires the office of a bishop, he has to be apt to teach. Teaching is a key portion of that office. 
But it's important that churches recognize the gifting of leaders. Now, we, we haven't really struggled with this in our church, at least in any recent times, but churches all across um, our country and throughout history, churches, local bodies of Christ, Christ, have sometimes struggled to get along well with church leadership. And maybe some, maybe some here, maybe you've been a part of an experience like that in the past. It's very important for us to recognize that God has set up leadership in the church, that it is his model, it is his idea. He's gifted the church. First, with evangelists, those I would see as those who, as missionaries, go about and establish new churches, bringing the gospel to places where the gospel has never been, evangelizing. And then secondly, those who are called to then shepherd and disciple those churches, pastors and teachers. It's a unique relationship in a local church between the, 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 the pastors and the church, whereas ultimately, as a, the Bible refers to pastors as under-shepherds, that I will give an account, and the pastors of this church, we will give an account to the true leader of this church. Who is who? Who's the true leader? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We give account. But I also give account to you. But then you also give account to me. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mutual relationship of accountability where we hold one another accountable to the Scriptures as we follow Christ. But if a church is going to be built, the, the, one of the things that will hinder the edifying of the body of Christ is when the people of God will not follow the leaders that God has put there. Now, again, I'm not saying that this morning to address any problems. If you're new to our church, there are no problems that I'm aware of to address like that this morning. That's not the purpose. However, the purpose is just to explain what the Scriptures teach. Because as we come to the passage, uh, it's important for us to, to teach the whole counsel of God. And it's a key element here. There's leadership given to the church. Now, but it doesn't just take gifted leaders. There are many churches that have dynamic or charismatic leaders that are leading that church, but the church is not growing. The church is not healthy. Because sometimes it becomes all about the guy in front and, and promoting himself and, and, and building a brand or something like that. And, and we see that all around the country today, that's happening. Because a church is not about somebody getting up and giving a talk or inspiring people. The church is the body of Christ. So it takes more than gifted leaders. It takes, secondly, a mature membership. It takes mature members who are taking responsibility of, on their own for growing in the faith. The kind of people that will, like the Bereans, who will study the scriptures, and despite what the, what, the, what the guy up front says, they have enough spiritual wisdom to look at the Bible and say, you know what? He's right about that. You know what? I'm not sure about that, because I know the Bible myself. There's no, no pastor who is being a gifted, godly leader should ever be someone who says, I don't, you better not disagree with me on any sing, single thing I say about this. No, because we have to recognize that there, is, there are mature members within the church. So, all right, where am I getting that from? Well, I'm getting it from the text. Look on. Verse number 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness, 
whereby they lay, lie in wait to deceive. That's a, that's a key verse, number 14. Did you, did you catch everything that's in there? It's saying that, hey, this body is going to be built by people who are not tossed to and fro. People who are not moved easily away from the truth of the Word of God. It says that these people are doctrinally stable. There's not some, there's not some slick operator who could come in and say, well, I know that you, know, you believe it this way, but let me show you a different interpretation. But a church that is strong enough and discipling one another enough to say, wait a minute, that's not true. That's a false teaching. That's cunning craftiness. That's a deception. We know the Word of God and we are not going to follow unbiblical teaching. Do you know the Word? Are you a mature believer? And if you'd say, well, I don't know if I am or not. Well, great, because churches should have all kinds of people. It should have people that are mature and people that are maturing, people that are growing. You may be new, you may be growing in the faith. That's an awesome place to be. But take your responsibility seriously. Get in the Word. Study it for yourself. Know it for yourself so you'll be doctrinally stable. Listen, there are churches that at one point held to sound biblical teaching, but because it was just a leader telling people what to believe, those churches moved from one doctrinal position to a completely different place. Do we know what the Word of God says? Mature, part of building and strengthening the body is knowing the Scriptures, doctrinal stability. But not just that, but it's not just their doctrine of the church. A mature believer is not just someone who knows the doctrine, but it's someone who has the right disposition or the right demeanor. You can intellectually know all the, the doctrines, but not have a mature Christ-like disposition. Anybody ever encountered that before? Or somebody, they, they know, they can quote the, the, the verses, but the way they treat people is not mature. Where am I getting that from? Well, let's read on. So it says in verse 14 that you need to be doctrinally stable, but now in verse 15 it tells us what to do with that doctrine, what to do with that truth. What does it say? But speaking the truth in what? In love. Mature Christians are not just doctrinally stable, but they are loving truth-tellers. They're loving truth-tellers. Speaking the truth in love. To be able to take, hey, yes, there's some people, they get all excited to say, well, the Bible says this, and let me, let me take this and just kind of whack you over the head with it a few times. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Here he says, speak the truth in love. Are we taking what we know and giving it to others in a way that says, I don't just want to prove that I'm right, but I love you enough to patiently show you how you can be made right, how you can be brought into the truth. With patience to take the scriptures and bring people along to the truth. Now, it's not just true love has to be based on truth. There are some people that say, well, we'll just all get along and we just all love each other, but then they don't have the doctrinal truth 
in a sound, mature body of Christ, amongst mature believers, there's both. There's, a, there's an understanding of the truth, and then there is a disposition of love to speak that truth in a loving way. So, what does it take to build the body? It takes gifted leaders, it takes mature members, and then thirdly, it takes gifted members. We began with gifted leaders. The leaders are a gift to the church, but the members of the body are a gift as well. Every member is a gift. Look at this in verse number 16. So we just saw that we're not to be driven to and fro, but we're to speak the truth in love. We're growing up into Christ. And now verse 16, from whom? Who's the whom? From who? From who? I heard it. From Christ. From whom? The whole body, I love the picture here, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which, what's it say? Every joint. By that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of what? Every part. Did you see this? Every joint and now every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Gifted members means this, that every member has a part, to a role to fulfill. Every part. There, there must be individual involvement. The vision, the vision of the body of Christ is, is not for there to be spectators. There are no, there are not, I shouldn't say there are none, but there are, there is, the intention is not for there to be spectators. It's not an entertainment venue. It's not an inspirational venue. It's not a venue at all. It's a body. And if one part is not performing its role, what happens to the body? In some, in some measure, the body suffers. If every joint isn't supplying, if every part isn't working, in some way, the body suffers. Quickly, keep your, keep your mark here in Ephesians 4. Very quickly, go back with me a few pages to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I want you to see this same principle played out here. As you turn there, you might say, Ethan, I am not especially gifted. And I've known people that would say that. I disagree with them, but they would say, Ethan, I'm just not that especially gifted. If I'm not involved, trust me, you're not missing much. Now, Sometimes that comes from a place of insecurity. People are dealing with things. And so we've got to be patient with them. But can I share this with you? If that is your attitude, you are denying the power of the gospel in your life. If you would say, but I don't really have... If, if you would say, listen, it's not a big deal if I just come and sit on the sidelines and watch. I mean, you all are an encouragement to be me, but I honestly don't have that much to offer. Well, when you say that, say this as kindly and speak the truth in as much love as I can, 
You're making a liar of the Word of God. Because the Word of God says that the giftedness is to all and to every. Here in Romans chapter 12, look at verse number 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as, according as God hath dealt to who? To who? Some? The especially talented? The naturally gifted? No. He has given to, to who? To every man. God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we, what is this, what do you mean the measure of faith? Well, he's going to explain. In other words, God has measured some things out. According to his wisdom, according to his knowledge, he's measured some things out among his body. Well, let's see what he mean. What do you mean you've measured some things out? He says this, verse 4, for as we have many members in how many bodies? One body and many members, and all members have not the same office. So, we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone, everyone members one of... Well, we're members of Christ, but look at the end what it says. Members of one another. We belong to each other. That's an interesting passage. And I think in our very individualistic Western culture, this is not being well practiced by the church, or by the churches, that we are members of each other. We have a, that means we have a commitment to each other. We have an accountability to each other, and we have a duty to each other. So, verse 6, having then gifts, not all the same, differing, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Did, are these, oh, oh, so first of all, let me ask you some easy questions here. Do we all have the same gift? No. Is the gift from our natural born abilities? It's not. Now, does God use our natural giftedness in the church? Of course he does. But it says here that we have gifts that are given to us according to grace. That God has by grace given us these gifts. Now look at this, and this would be a, another lesson to really unpack all of these, but he just talks about different gifts. I, do, I personally do not believe that this is an exhaustive list. I think this is an, ex, this is an exemplary list. I think he's showing examples of giftedness. I believe there could be more gifts. But he gives a list here, and, and that is, he says, well, for instance, he says, um, there's different gifts. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You'll find another set of gifts in 1 Corinthians. You'll find other passages that talk about different ways that people are gifted. So again, I don't view this as an exhaustive list, but simply an example of how God 
has used different gifts to strengthen his body. So two questions. I usually have two questions at the end of the message. This is a free two questions in the, toward, toward the end, but not the end. So we're not done yet. Two questions in, in, in regard to this. What is your gift or what are your gifts? That's question number one. Can you answer that question? That's important for every believer to ask that question. What is my gift? Second question, how am I using my gift? You got the two questions? What is my gift? How am I using my gift? The second question is actually pretty easy. You say, I know my gift. I know how I, I'm gifted, but I'm not using it. Well, then there'd be a third question, I guess, which is, why not? Why not? But maybe you'd say, but Ethan, I don't know what my gift is. I'm not sure. Well, you should go on a journey of prayer and involvement to say there are many ways you can find your giftedness. And I'll tell you, the most, the most effective way to find out how you're gifted is to get involved, to just get involved. If, if anybody was gifted with technology that could figure out why that randomly just disappears and comes back, we don't know. So if you got that gift, let me know. I, I'm like seeing this flash, and Kayla's like, I don't know. But you fixed it somehow, right? She's like, no. Um, if you don't know your gift, get involved. Now, some gifts are, are very public, but listen, I know people in this church that you would be amazed to know how active they are in exercising their gift, and they never come up on the platform. They don't, even, they don't teach Sunday school currently. I can think of one person in particular that I know makes so many phone calls of encouragement to people. And I don't find out about it until, until much later on. It's like, oh, so-and-so called this person or checked in on that person or did that. And I'm just like, nobody asked them to do that. There's no official ministry of, you know, of X or Y or Z. So again, I'm not saying here this morning that if, if I'm not making any assumptions, you know, just because I don't, know, I don't see what may go on behind, I'm not going to assume that, that anybody is or isn't involved, right? That's not my place. I'm not here to say, well, you're not involved enough. Or you're, no, the point is to take the scriptures and you say, well, what is my gift? Am I using it in the body? Because that's what makes a strong church. Whether everybody knows about it or not is irrelevant. But if you don't know your gift, get involved. That's a great time to go to other Christian friends or, or leaders in the church and say, you know what, how can I find out more about, about how God is using, can use me? So it begins with a willingness. But I want to, as you go back to Ephesians 4, and we spend the rest of our time here, I just want to get this point home. Because I, I don't know if it's the case in this church. But it is the case in many churches that there are people not using their gifts for the body of Christ. And I want us to understand the importance of that. Because when you do not use your gift, 
when you do not serve, in some measure, the body of Christ suffers. And we are members one of another. As we come, as we gather, again, let's never make the mistake of thinking we gather to see a performance or to have an experience. We gather ultimately for the glory, but we gather for the edification of the saints, building this body. Are you building, are you using your gift? It takes gifted leaders, mature members, and gifted members. Individual involvement, and most of the rest of what I have to say I've already said, so I'm just going to let the scriptures walk us through it here. Supplying strength. When you serve, you strengthen the body. When you don't serve, you weaken the body. Effectively working. Now, this is an important one. Do you see that in the middle of verse 16? So every joint supplies according to the effectual or effective working. Effective working. Now, for there to be effective working, there's got to be some harmony. First Corinthians, Paul says, well, the foot can't be like, well, I'm not the hand, so I don't need you. Right? If the whole body was the, was the ear, where would the seeing be? So part of effective, effective working is everybody staying in their role, fulfilling their role, getting along with each other. But it's not just effectual, but it's work. It's work. And by human nature, are we naturally people who embrace work? Aaron, you're laughing back there. You, 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 you don't think so, right? So we don't embrace it. Now, some of us have been trained and disciplined to work. It's an important principle, but it goes against our natural it goes against our natural proclivities, that we, we take the path of least resistance, but it takes work. Now, it's spirit-empowered work, but it takes work for the body of Christ to be edified. Can I tell you, sometimes it takes a little bit of work and energy just to say, you know what, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to make it to that service, I'm going to make it to that event because my brothers and sisters need me to be there. That's just your presence is a gift to the body. It takes work. It takes, sometimes that means giving up some of my preferences or some of the free time that I expect that I should have because there's a greater work that I'm called to. There's a greater work that I'm called to be a part of. So, when all that happens, notice it says there's a steady increase. There's a steady increase at the in, toward the end of it. By every part doing its part, it makes increase of the body. Healthy, healthy organisms grow. They just do. Unhealthy, now, they don't all grow at the same rate. They don't all grow in the same way. Sometimes, sometimes churches will grow numerically. Sometimes they'll grow in other areas. But it is not a healthy church if it is not growing in some way toward the measure of Christ. And members are just as much a part of that growth as leaders are, if not a more important component. There was somebody who said, a famous pastor years ago, who said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And I always thought that was, I understand what his point was, but I always thought that was kind of a, a backwards 
way to look at things or it kind of it's a dangerous position for leaders to be in. I think in a church everything rises and falls on people's willingness to serve. Steadily increasing, it maketh increase and then it's built by love. Do you see this? Unto the edifying of itself. Edifying of itself. In other words, we don't have to have a plan for growth. We don't have to lay out, I don't have to come in at the beginning of the year and say, all right, we're going to accomplish objectives A, B, and C. I, I do that in the business world. We plan to have, you know, our company's going to grow and we're going to take this initiative. We're going to do that. There's some place for that in the church, I guess. But the, body, the Bible says here, if it's a healthy body, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. It's going to grow as the Lord adds to it. And so our number one goal should simply be this. We don't, and as a church, we don't set growth goals or, or, or any of that business strategy stuff. What we simply do is this. We say, hey, let's be a New Testament church that loves Jesus first and foremost, that is united one to another. And let's all do our part in the body by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's just watch what God's going to do in this place. That's an exciting thing to be a part of. And it's called the church called the body of Christ. So now my two questions that I do end with. First of all, are you a part of the body of Christ? You say, what do you mean? Do you, do, do you, now don't pack up on me just because I'm ending here. It's not time to, you know, that was something in college, the chapel speaker would be on my final point. You'd hear the backpacks and the books and all right, we're done now. Okay? Most important question is, I, just, I spent a whole message describing the body of Christ. It's a wonderful experience to be part of the universal church of Christ and also the local church of Christ. You say, how do I get in on that? Is there a class? Is there an initiation? Is there anything like No. To be a part of the body of Christ, I'm talking about the eternal body of Christ, it's simply by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's simply by coming to a point in your life where you say, I am a sinner, I am lost, I don't deserve God's love. In fact, if I got what I deserved, it would be hell. But I believe that Jesus loves me. I believe that he died and rose again for me, and I receive him. The Bible says if you'll receive him by faith, he will receive you into his body. Have you ever received Jesus Christ by faith alone? That's where it all begins. If you've not done that, I invite you to do it today. Whether you're here with us or you're watching on the video, if you have never received Christ, right now, bow your heart to Him, close your eyes, pray to Him, whatever, whatever physical position you want to get in, it doesn't matter because it's the condition of your heart that says, yes, yes, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I accept Jesus as my Savior. Will you do that right now? And Christian, to you now, you'd say, yes, I am a part of the body of Christ. How are you contributing to the edifying of the body? Maybe God spoke to your heart this morning. Maybe you know. Maybe there's something that God has spoken to you about. You say, you know what? Yeah, you should be involved in that. You should be serving in this way. You should be reaching in this area. And you say, you know what? But I've been fighting it. Why? Maybe you've, got a, maybe you've got some baggage of being burdened by, you know, by people's expectations. I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying what I think you should do. 
just do what Jesus has called you to do because if you'll follow him in that area, you'll experience his power. You'll experience a reward from, that comes from service if you're doing it by his power according to his will. Make that decision this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heads bowed, eyes closed. As we come to this time of prayer right now, has God spoken to your heart this morning? First, has God spoken to your heart about salvation? Has there been a time in your life that you've received Jesus? If not, please do that right now. Receive, <coughs> receive Christ as your Savior by faith. Call out to Him. Ask Him to save you. And Christian, just spend a few minutes with the Lord right now during this time of invitation. The piano plays. Just spend a few minutes asking God how he wants you to serve. What is your place in the body of Christ? Father, we thank you that you've called us into this body, Lord. We thank you that you've allowed us to be a part of it. We do pray, God, that if someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would join your body. Today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you. And God, as, as we thank you so much for calling us into your body, we pray that each and every one of us would be challenged, Lord, to, to minister and to serve, Lord, and to be a part, Lord, of this church, to use the gifts that you've given each and every one of us. And we'll praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.